Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore the Christian faith, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into the Word of God. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. So good to see you guys. Welcome again to Rolling Hills Community Church. I'd love for you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to turn to your right, even if you don't know the person that's standing next to you, or if there's nobody by you, then just yell really loud to yourself. Look to the person and say, are you ready? Hey, I don't know where some of y'all went to school because people were every which direction. So if you didn't go to your right, now go to your left and look at that person and say, are you ready? I need you to be ready today because there are these moments in life where we have to take a sip of water from a fire hydrant. Has that ever happened to you before? Today is one of those days where we have a lot coming your way. And so it might feel like at times you are taking a sip of water from a really massive hose this morning. And why I say that is because we are setting our sights on what is to come next in the life of our church. And so next week we kick off a brand new series called Aptly So Next, where we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is so good and it's so rich. If you have not studied it, you are going to love this study. But right before the book of Nehemiah is this book, Ezra. And Ezra and Nehemiah are actually the same story. And so it's just in two books. And so we've separated them out into two books. But Ezra goes right in to Nehemiah. And so in order to set us up for success next week, I have the task today of helping you understand the book of Ezra, which is 10 chapters in one sermon. Okay, and so uh, with that said, there will be box lunches making their way through in a couple hours. Uh, if you have preschoolers, we're going to put them down for naps for you, okay? We're just going to take care of all of that for you. Some of you guys are like, praise God, we'll stay all day. Um, all joking aside, I will try my best to get you out of here so you can get to work tomorrow morning. But we've titled this message, When God is Doing a New Thing. Because I believe that God is doing a new thing in many of our lives. God is certainly doing a new thing in Um, our ministry, and God is doing a new thing prayerfully in your family. And for the next several weeks, we're going to seek to unpack that. What is that new thing that God wants to do? And ultimately, we're going to say, what does it mean to be all in for him, to be unashamed with our love for Jesus Christ and our passion for Jesus Christ? And my hope and my prayer is that that would be something that's not just corporate and collective, but that that would be something that you would grow in individually. And so I'm excited to see what God has in store. And so this morning, again, we're just going to seek to, to unpack this question of what do we do when God is doing a new thing? How do I respond to that? What are the expectations that I should have? And so I have for you today from the book of Ezra, seven expectations that we should always be prepared for. Seven things that we should expect when it comes to what God is doing this new thing. And so in full disclosure, I have to tell you, some of these are hard to talk about. Now, some of them are really, really fun, but a few of them are pretty challenging and are pretty difficult because when God is doing something, we should never expect that it's always going to be easy. And we should never expect that it's always going to be perfect. And so through the book of Ezra, my hope and my prayer is that God would meet you and that God would show you just a deeper understanding of who he is and what it is that he has in store for you today. So again, I'm so grateful that you are here with us this morning. A special thank you to all of you who are with us for the very first time today. That means so much to us. I know what it's like to come into a place that you've never been before and drive up a driveway you've never been before or say yes to someone who invited you here. So just know that that means so much to us and my hope and my prayer 
is that um, Rolling Hills would be a place where you can uh, grow and connect with Jesus Christ and connect, of course, with others. So again, I'm grateful that all of you are here with us this morning. So why don't we pray together and ask God to show us what it is that he wants to do as we seek to respond to the new thing that he's doing in our lives. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this beautiful day of life. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship. Thank you, God, for just your word. And I pray that as we study your word now, that you would give us a glimpse of who you are. God, because we know that we will meet you here, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. So again, we're studying the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra is, is a fantastic book, and it picks up about 50 years after this incident has happened. About 50 years prior to what you see here in Ezra chapter 1, the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, they have been taken into Babylonian captivity. And so when you see the word Babylon, just know that's the bad guys, okay? So they have come in, and they have taken over uh, the Israelites. And what's happening in Jerusalem, which is kind of the hub of the Israelites, is they had been worshiping false gods. And they, uh, instead of consulting God, they were consulting their neighboring nations. They were allowing a lot of injustices to happen in Jerusalem. And so as a result of that, they were taken over by this enemy of Babylon. And thousands of Israelites were taken into captivity from Jerusalem over to um, Babylon. And so I want to show you kind of a timeline. I'm going to keep this up on the screen for my overview today, because perhaps that will kind of help you follow the story better as we look at these seven specifics here in just a second. But in 587 BC, there was a bad guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and he comes into Jerusalem and he destroys the temple and he destroys the house of God. And the Israelites were deported to Babylon. And in Babylon, they were forced to adopt new worship practices. And about 50 years after that, Babylon falls to uh, King Cyrus of Persia. Some of y'all didn't know you were going to get a history lesson this morning. And so Babylon falls to King Cyrus of Persia, and the, the Lord lays up on Cyrus's heart that the Israelites should be allowed to go back to Jerusalem. We shouldn't keep them captive here anymore. They can go back to Jerusalem. In fact, Cyrus says, if you need gold and silver, we'll give you gold and silver. He even says the things that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple— all the things that he stole from the temple, we'll give those back to you as well so that you can take all of that back and rebuild the temple that has been destroyed in Jerusalem. And so Zerubbabel steps up to take this charge. If any of y'all are pregnant and you're looking for a name that nobody else will ever have, <laughs> may I suggest Zerubbabel to you. I mean, they will be the only Zerubbabel in their entire class or school probably. So Zerubbabel steps up to lead this charge. And it's estimated that about 50,000 people make this journey back. Cyrus has said, if you're an Israelite and you want to go back to Jerusalem, you can now go. Zerubbabel steps up, 50,000 Israelites go back to Jerusalem in 538 B.C. And we know from history it took them about four months to get back. And when they arrived, they started worshiping the one true God. They made sacrifices, and for the next 70 years... They laid the foundation of the new temple. They rebuilt the temple from the ground up during that 70-year period of time, which we're going to look at here in just a second. Uh, they were met with some opposition. They were met by some naysayers. And then in 458 BC, there's another king of Persia, and his name is Artaxerxes. And he realizes there's still more Israelites that need to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And he says, if you've yet to go, there's a second wave that's going back, and you are going to be led by, you guessed it, Ezra. 
Ezra is the namesake of this book, and Ezra is the one that brings the second group back. Why was there a second group that came back? The first group went and rebuilt the temple. They actually rebuilt it from the ground up. But what needed to also be rebuilt was the hearts of the people. It wasn't enough just to rebuild the temple. They needed to have some heart work done. And so Ezra comes back to help rebuild the people because Ezra was a priest. He was from the original line of Aaron, uh, descendant from Aaron, the original priest. And so Ezra comes back, and when he comes back, he finds Jerusalem in continual disarray. Much like humanity, we always make a mess of everything. And so there was a mess that had been created. And so Ezra begins helping to try to turn them back to God. Now, that's kind of the five-minute overview of the book of Ezra. And so we're going to kind of take a few verses and unpack what I see are some things that we should expect when God is doing a new thing. Because God is certainly doing a new thing in this book of Ezra. He's doing a new thing in the book of Nehemiah. He's doing a new thing today. And from these books, you can see so much relevance of what God is doing. And, and you and I don't live perfect lives. You and I struggle just like they struggled back then. But God continues to use us, and God continues to write stories in our life. And my hope and my prayer is that we would say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do that's new in my life, help me to see it today and help me to respond to it. So when God is doing a new thing, out of the book of Ezra, I could have picked 70, but I picked seven. Out of the book of Ezra, seven things that we should always expect in our life when God is doing a new thing. And for starters, let's just go ahead and get the hard one out of the way first. Is that okay? Let's get the hard one out of the way first. When God is doing a new thing, you should expect confusion. When God is doing a new thing, you should expect confusion. Has this ever happened to you when you've been really excited about something and you share it with someone and it's met with deadpan expression? Has that ever happened? You're just really stoked about something and you think everybody else is going to be stoked about it and you share it and it is met with people who look at you like you have three heads. Maybe some of you ladies have said, you know what, God laid up on my heart to start a Bible study and you started a Bible study in your neighborhood and you were really excited about the Bible, but not everybody who came was as excited about the Bible as you were. And you had like 48 hours of questions prepared and nobody was as excited about all your questions. And you're thinking to yourself, what's happening? I'm excited. Why is everybody else not excited? See, there had been this group, 50,000 plus, with Zerubbabel that had come back. And they had started laying the foundations of the new temple and a four-month journey. And can you imagine leading 50,000 people for four months to come and rebuild that temple? They make offerings to God, and they start rebuilding the foundation. So naturally so, everybody should be happy, correct? When's the last time a group of 50,000 people all agreed on everything? Not everybody is happy. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 3, verses um, 10 through uh, 15. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, I should say. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, they took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. And so they start this rebuilding process. 
And we're told that there's some old timers in the group. And those were some people that had been with, had been on this journey for a long time. They were up in age, and many of them remembered the old temple. They remembered Solomon's old temple, the one that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. And now you have Zerubbabel and this new group building this new foundation. They're laying out this new foundation. And it says that when they saw the foundation, the people began to cry. And there was a certain group of people that I'm sure were crying tears of joy because they were laying a new foundation. But we're told that there's also people who begin to weep and they're weeping in anguish because they see the new temple And a lot of them are thinking to themselves, is this it? We remember Solomon's temple. We remember how grand it was. We remember how big it was. And then we see this new foundation. And they're saying to themselves, Zerubbabel, we really appreciate what you're doing, but we miss the old temple. We miss what it used to look like. (laughs) This is small. This is a tiny temple compared to the one that we used to have. These foundations, these walls aren't as big. And it says that the weeping of joy and the weeping of pain was indistinguishable. We couldn't discern who was crying because they were happy and who was crying because they were sad. Who was crying because they were excited and who was crying because they were depressed. Don't tell me the Bible isn't relevant for today. Have you ever had a moment when your response to something was so different from somebody else's and you're wondering, how did you arrive at that conclusion? I was excited and you were frustrated. You were joyful and I was sorrowful. See, these moments present themselves all the time, don't they? And there's confusion that happens. There's moments when you can be really, really on fire for what the Lord is doing and you share that passion and sometimes it is just met with resistance. And there are are others that may not be near as excited or peaceable or joyful as those moments that you're experiencing. And if that's not enough, Zerubbabel, they're kind of experiencing some dissension in the ranks But now we're told that there were some other Israelites who come. There were some Israelites that were actually in Jerusalem that had never been exiled. So imagine that these are probably babies when Nebuchadnezzar destroys the first temple. And now they've grown up and they're there. And they actually come to Zerubbabel and they say, we see that you're building the foundation of the temple. Can we join in on that work? And Zerubbabel says, no, you can't because you don't have the same intentions that we do. So instead of that group who stayed in Jerusalem just leaving good enough alone, they say, oh, you're not going to let us be involved in the work? We'll show you. We're not just going to leave and and, and kind of, you know, just go over here and do our own thing. We'll show you. Scroll forward to Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This group said, you won't let us be a part of the work? That's fine. We're going to make it really hard for you to do your work then. If you're not going to let us be involved, even though our intentions aren't the same as yours, uh, we're going to actually bribe other officials against you. We're going to try to make it difficult. We're going to try to frustrate you. We're going to stand off on the side and heckle you. I mean, these Israelites have returned from exile, and they are far from perfect. I mean, they're trying their best, though, to be faithful to what God has placed on their hearts to do. And from some of their own people, they were being criticized. 
See, when God is doing a new thing, you and I should always expect some confusion to happen. Two other things that we should always expect is we should expect some discouragement. And you should expect some opposition. When God is doing a new thing, you can expect discouragement and you can expect opposition. I promise this gets better. I just kind of start with all the bad things to royally depress you and then we all get rescued from this, okay? So it gets better, I promise. But haven't you experienced that in your own life? When God is doing a new thing, what's it often met with? It's often met with some opposition or it's often met with some discouragement. Sometimes as followers of Christ, we expect that every plan, every idea, every dream, every vision, everything that we set in motion will always be met with people who come out with pom-poms and cheer us on. But sometimes it doesn't happen. In fact, we rightfully show, so should expect there to be moments of discouragement. Why? Because humanity is broken because of sin. And sin causes us to go down a path of not God-honoring behavior, but worldly honoring behavior. It causes us to discourage, or it causes us to want to stand in the way of the work. The reality is there is an enemy out there whose name is Satan, and his job is to discourage you. It's to frustrate you. It's to uh, make you think that what you're doing doesn't really matter. But sometimes, because you and I have a sinful nature, even as followers of Jesus Christ, he has saved us from our sin, but we still have a nature bent towards sin. We still have a nature that wants to sin. Sometimes, even from other followers of Jesus Christ, we get discouraged. Or sometimes we're not the first to step up and support what other people are doing. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll see the working of God maybe at another church in town. And instead of being excited about that, we'll say to ourselves, it's really, really great that the Lord is blessing over there. I just wish he wasn't blessing them as that much. Or I really pray prayers of blessing for all the other churches in town, just as long as they don't get as big as us. And those are the moments when you have to realize that's not God-honoring behavior, because all of us are the same team. And there are fantastic ministries and organizations and churches that are pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so when you hear about the things that God is doing at other places, may we never say, uh, to that but may we always say praise God for what he's doing and praise God that we get to be a part of that. Now, this defiant group, they actually went as far to write a letter to the new king of Persia to say who gave them the right to do this? Who was it that gave them the permission to rebuild this foundation? They were threatening the work, but praise God that work continued. Be encouraged, my friends. When God is doing something, there's always a real enemy. There's always the sinful nature of humanity, but be encouraged. When God is doing something, the enemy will not and cannot stop it. And if you're discouraged this morning, uh, maybe you're discouraged, you're a discouraged worker, and maybe you feel opposed at times, and maybe you've just dealt with all the confusion. We've all been there, but you have to have faith to remain, and you have to keep your eyes, and you have to keep your head, and you have to keep your heart moving forward, looking up at God, not down at the problems of this world. And we're told, ultimately, if you scroll forward to Ezra chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, look at what happens. Then because of the decree of King Darius, Titanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates, they carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, a descendant of Ido. And they finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel. 
and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. And the temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. The temple was rebuilt in the face of opposition, in the face of naysayers, in the face of maybe a lack of own personal courage, the temple was rebuilt. So my encouragement to you as God's writing a new thing in your life is don't quit, my friends. Don't quit. Don't give up on what the Lord has placed in front of you. I don't know the story that God is writing in each and every person in this, li- in this room. I don't know the story that God's writing in each and every person that calls Rolling Hills home. But I knew, though, that the story that God is writing, he's wanting us to be faithful to that as he's doing that new thing. One of my daily prayers, in fact, it's been a prayer that I have prayed for close to 20 years. God called me into ministry, and I've been serving as faithfully as I've known how uh, for about the past 20 years. And one of my daily prayers is, God, help me to be faithful. Simply put, help me to be faithful. And if the Lord gives me 20 more years of ministry, that will continue to be my prayer. Lord, help me to be faithful. Because I believe that faithfulness to the task is our primary goal. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter geography. It doesn't matter how big your ministry is, how small your ministry is, how much influence you have, anything else. I don't think any of it matters. I think what matters is faithfulness. Faithfulness to what the Lord has called you to do. But what do we tend to do? I know I do anyway. I'm really guilty of I get distracted by the left and the right. I get distracted by what's happening over here. I get distracted by the next shiny object. I get distracted by all of the things that tempt us. Whereas the Lord is saying, no, I just want you to be faithful to what's ahead. Now, when that happens, will there be confusion? Sure. Will there be some opposition? Probably. Will there be some discouragement? Likely. But do you know what else you can expect? This is where it gets more fun. Do you know what else you can expect when the Lord is working? You can expect his hand to be with you. You can expect his hand to be with you. Because see, 60-ish years after the first group goes back from Babylon to Jerusalem, about 60 years later, Ezra steps up and Ezra leads the next group. The next group of Israelites, God calls them, God sets Ezra apart, and he begins to bring about this change. And the thing that you realize is that this was scary. I mean, they were going back to a place where others were trying to uh, kind of oppose the work. They were actively trying to stop the work. But Ezra persisted. Why? Because he says the hand of God was up on him. And that's shown to us in Ezra chapter 7, verses 27 and 28. These are the direct words of Ezra as a prayer. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. And who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Let me read that last verse to you one more time. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and I gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Now, did Ezra take courage because he was a priest and a smart religious leader? Was Ezra's courage banked in the fact that he had a PhD and a string of letters after his name? Was Ezra's courage, you know, centered around the fact that he had the largest bank account of anybody in ancient Israel? Absolutely not. Ezra said, I took the courage and I was able to gather that courage and I was able to lead this second group of exiles from Babylon back to Jerusalem because the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he said, when the hand of the Lord is up on you, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. If you've ever tried to 
fulfill the call that God has placed on your life without the hand of the Lord upon you or without trusting or without asking, I should say, the hand of the Lord to guide you? How has that worked out? Probably not very well. I've had moments when I've tried to do things that really, in my own power, I felt like I could do. But I had never asked and never depended upon the hand of the Lord to be the one to guide me and to lead me. And the reality is those things just don't work out the way that God wants them to and the way that we certainly want them to. I believe that God is doing a new thing in all of our lives. But I also believe that we have to be prepared to respond to that. And to be responsive to that, we have to trust that his hand is up on us. I don't know about you, but in my life, if God's not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. (laughs) If God's not the one who's working, then far be it for me to um, try to insert what I have into that. In fact, I believe if God closes a door in your life, my friends, don't kick it open. (laughs) If God closes a door, don't kick it open. If God opens a door, don't ask for 48 more affirmations from God. Because sometimes we do one of the both. Sometimes we're like, God's, God's closed this door. God, if you could just show me 17 more doors and close them all, then that would be awesome. Or God, you've made it really, really clear through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through affirmation of someone else that this is what I need to do. But I'm not really sure that I can trust that yes. So if I could get about 62 and a half more yeses, then maybe I'll respond. See, with that, we have to trust that his hand will be with us. And let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. And trust that he is the one who is working. And when we take those steps of faith, what happens? When you and I take those steps of faith, we grow deeper, don't we? When we take those steps of faith, we grow deeper. And so as you see there on your notes, another thing that we should expect when God is working is we should expect spiritual growth. You should expect spiritual growth. When you say yes to God, if you boldly say yes to God, you should expect in your heart, I am going to grow spiritually. I'm not going to be the same person next year that I am today. And as you grow, God shows you areas, more areas where you need to grow and more things that need to be refined in your life. Scroll forward to Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. Ezra is now leading this charge, and this is what he says in verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. Ezra said, for this physical journey, I was actually too ashamed to ask for horses and protection. (laughs) And so we trusted that God was going to be with us. But now that we're out there on that journey, we really need to trust because maybe we should have asked for some protection. And he says, so he called them to a fast and he called them to kind of withhold from eating food, to depend upon the Lord. And he said, because the hand of the Lord is upon us and because of our steps of faith, we don't have to fear anymore. And we don't have to worry about everyone who might attack us. We can have faith, and that's a sign of spiritual growth. Did you know that one of the signs of spiritual growth in your life is when you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to choose faith today over fear. It's a sign of spiritual growth. It's a sign of spiritual growth to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to choose faith today over control. 
Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of Life Church and just a brilliant man of God. He had a sermon several years ago that was one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. And he said, you and I have to wake up every morning and we have to make a decision. Am I going to try to control everything today or am I going to have faith today? Because you can't have both. You've got to wake up every day and say, am I going to have faith today or am I going to try to control everything today? Because I can't choose both. I can't live 50% of my day out of faith and 50% of my day trying to control everything. It can't be half fear and half faith. And Ezra is showing us this. He looks around and he says, this task is really, really hard. But yet we are trusting God. He called people. He called his people to a level of spiritual growth. And I believe God's doing the same thing with us. He wants to do the same thing with us. When we say yes to him, he yearns to take us to an even deeper level of spiritual growth. One of my favorite quotations, and um, we recite it and reference it quite, a, quite often here at Rolling Hills, and it's from the great William Carey. And it's up here on the screen. William Carey says, expect great things from God, but attempt great things for God. Don't you love that? Expect great things from God but also attempt great things for God. I have to expect him to work, but I also have to put my feet to work. I have to expect him to work, but I also have to put my feet to work. It's kind of like, let's just say, for example, you wanted to learn to play the piano or an instrument, and you don't know how to do that. There's something really powerful about saying, I expect to know how to play the piano, right? I mean, God is able. He's miraculous. He could could meet you in that expectation, I expect that I will play the piano. Now, maybe God answers your prayers in miraculous ways and you sit down and you know how to do it. But it also could be to your benefit to say, I expect to play the piano and I'm going to take some lessons. I expect to be able to do this, but I'm actually going to put some feet to this expectation. And when you do that, those things in tandem lead to a deeper level of spiritual growth And as that process unfolds in our life, God begins to reveal areas in our life that we need to work on. He reveals areas that we need to grow in our faith. He reveals maybe some of the things that we're struggling with. And it's also been my experience that as we expect that spiritual growth and as we grow spiritually and get deeper and deeper in our relationship with God, he also shows us some areas where we need some work. And he shows us some of those areas where we need to be refined or perhaps some of those areas where we may need to confess some things that are happening in our life. Maybe it's an attitude or an action or a thought that needs to change. He brings those things to mind as we expect that spiritual growth. Maybe he brings some things to mind that have been holding you back. And he says, give those things to me. See, another thing that we should always expect when God's doing a new thing is we should expect confession. We should expect confession, meaning that we should expect that there should probably and undoubtedly will be some things in our life that we have to confess. If there's a new thing that God's wanting to do in your life, and if that's salvation for you, if you've yet to have that relationship with Jesus Christ or make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, then the expectation of confession is right at your doorfront today for you to say and confess to the Lord that you are a sinner and that you know that in your own power you can't be made right, and it's only because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we can have the forgiveness of sins. God's sending his one and only son, Jesus, so that we could have life. We enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ through confession. And as we continue to grow in our walk with the Lord, we should always expect these opportunities 
to confess, to confess our imperfections, to confess our mistakes, to confess our flaws, to confess those areas where we have tried to control. When God was writing a new thing, Ezra comes back, and as you can expect, people are people, and people do things that they shouldn't do, and he shows up in Jerusalem. They have rebuilt the temple. I mean, they've taken 70 years to rebuild it, and he finds many things happening in Jerusalem that were just not God-honoring. They were detestable practices. In fact, they had deliberately disobeyed God's standard by marrying neighboring groups that had detestable practices. And God had asked them to have a hedge of protection around that relationship, and they didn't do so. So Ezra sees it, and he calls them on it. And on behalf of the people, he offers a prayer of confession as their leader. And that's what you see in Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. But you see something really cool at the end of that prayer as well. While Ezra was praying and confessing and weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him, and they too wept bitterly. See, Ezra was taking ownership of what would happen. He acknowledged that sin and those guilty mistakes, and and he asked God to forgive them for those things. But it also says that that led to others joining in with that confession. Haven't you experienced that in your own life? When you're free to talk about the things that you've done or when you're free to confess the things that you've done, that really does give freedom to other people to acknowledge that they're not perfect and to acknowledge that they have mistakes. It's kind of like your own acts of obedience don't just affect you. They dig a channel for other people to be obedient. It outlives you. And so in these sinful moments, these struggles that we go through, these sins sometimes will, will always prevent us from experiencing the richness of the relationship of God that he desires for us to have. But when you confess those things to him, the Lord shows you that he doesn't hold those things against you, that they are as far as the east is from the west. And so if you're here today and you have that conviction of sin and there's a desire to move away from sin in your life, I want you to know that you're not a terrible person because the Lord is convicting you right now. You're not a terrible person at all. I would venture to say you're actually on the right path. (laughs) If the Lord is convicting you of something right now, you're not a terrible person. You're on the right path because you're saying it is my relationship with God is meeting the sinful nature that we struggle with and the Lord's wanting me to move forward. He's wanting me to experience that traction. See, God was doing a new thing in this story. And 458 BC, Ezra comes back, he leads this group back, and God showed him the things to do, showed them the restoration that needed to happen. And in 12 years after this, Nehemiah is going to come back. And Nehemiah is going to return, and he's going to start the process of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And we're going to start unpacking that next week. But in both of these stories, in both of these stories, the ending is not final. Scroll forward to the end of Ezra chapter 10. I mean, I'm not going to do it for you today, but read the last few verses of Ezra chapter 10 today, and you're going to think, I think I missed something. It just kind of ends. You know what? The same thing happens in Nehemiah. You get to the end, and it just kind of ends. We like to read stories that have a little bit more closure, don't we? Like, that would have been nice if it would have been packaged up a little bit better with a red bow so I could have moved forward. But Ezra and Nehemiah end intentionally with some things just kind of hanging in the balance because God is showing us through these stories the need that we have to continually and constantly trust him. And that the story is never over. That you and I are always on a journey. And until the Lord calls us home, until that day when he returns and calls us all home once and for good, we have work to do. 
We are in this in-between season. We can expect confusion. We can expect discouragement. We can expect his hand. We can expect some need for confession. We can expect spiritual growth. But you know one last thing that we should expect as we close today? You should also expect hope. Expect hope. Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Doesn't it provide you, great, provide you great encouragement to know that the pain that you're experiencing right now will not be there forever? That the struggles that you're going through right now will not be there forever? The things that we celebrate here in the life of Rolling Hills, see, that's hope. It's hope of what is to come. It's the life change that we see and the life change that we know is going to happen in your life and in my life and in all of our lives. So when God is doing a new thing, you should always expect something's going to be asked of you there's going to be moments of great celebration, but there's also going to be some moments of pain. But in the midst of it all, he calls us, and when he is calling us, we seek to be faithful. So my hope and my prayer for each and every one of us today is that we would live a life of faithfulness. And when God is doing a new thing, whatever that might be, that we would boldly, courageously, and humbly say yes to him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on a single sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Church Center app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.